I'm going to be world number one tennis player. Yeah. And I remember sitting with Mark McMahon at the time when he was one of the coaches at, at the State Academy and we all had to write out goals and we're sitting there and everyone wrote out their goals. And then um, before we even like told him what our goals were, he goes, put your hand up in this room if your goal is to be a top 10 tennis player. And I reckon like 80% of the room like put their hand up and he goes, scrunch up that piece of paper and do it again because I can guarantee you for 99% of people, that's an unrealistic goal. And I was just like, I was a 14-year-old kid, man. And I was like, wow, like that, that's, that's pretty yeah. mean. But, yeah. you know, like it, it's true. It, you know, it is you, true. You've got to have realistic goals. Welcome to another episode of Going Pro and I'm super stoked uh, for this one because we've got someone that I've known for a very long time, a man called Corey DeCandia that some of you might know him as Mr. Vacay, he's <laughs> co-founder of uh, Vacay Swimwear which is an Australian brand that meets high standards, comfort and style through the creation of unique male swim and resort wear and that's gone global, it's, it's born and bred from you and Geordie here yep. in Adelaide. And yeah, you've just taken the world by storm. But a lot of people might not know you have a full-on tennis athlete journey. I do, yes. That people have may may not even heard about them. Think of like, you've played tennis? Like what? Yeah. No way. So yep. that, that's something that I really, I really want to tap into. So can you can you break it down? I think I think we played maybe first time when I was like maybe 10, you were 10. Mm. I remember like uh, up in the hills, we played on a really windy day. Yes, the Slazenger Tour. The Slazenger Tour back in the day. <laughs> can, you, can you paint a picture of what it was like in the early phases of your journey? What made you get into tennis and, and was it really serious for you and, and how, how did that unfold in the early stages? Um, I, I don't recall what actually made me get into it, to be honest. Um, I just remember in – my street hitting against the wall with a racket and really loving the sport and watching, you know, the Aussie open. And at the time, like Hewitt dominating and um, Aussie tennis just being like this huge thing. And then just reaching out to my mom and just asking if she can get me into a local club. Like I didn't know what the, the process was for, for that. So she just called up a tennis club and, you know, started getting lessons as, as young kids do. Um, and within like, six 12 months I mean I just like fell in love with it like I was obsessed I've always been like a kind of guy that um you know when I love something I just kind of like would obsess over it yeah um and it just became like part of my life man like it was um you know like I, I was sleeping my racket like to the point where I wanted to be you know world, world number one like every young aspiring tennis player wants yeah. to be um and then within, you know, I was a pretty fast developer. So within like a year or two, I was already playing tournaments. Um, that's where I would have met guys like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just fell in love with the the competition and, you know, it being a sport which is so individual because I was used to playing like football and basketball and all those kinds of team sports. Um, and just from there, man, like there was no turning back. I just, I just loved it. Mm. Yeah, I think the individual nature is very intoxicating for a lot of people. Once mm. you get that feeling after being in a team sport and then feeling that it's all on you, 
it either makes you or breaks you. Yeah, you, you either definitely. go, no, 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 I can't hack this. Yep. Or you either go, well, no, nah, I absolutely love the fact that like, this is on me and I'm just going to ride those waves mm. and, and win win, and ride the waves of being high yep. from from the big wins or the lows from the losses. Yeah. Was it was it that thing that kind of you fell in love with early on and just that competitive nature of the individual sport? Yeah, it definitely was, man. Like I, I fell in love with it like I said, from the moment I picked up my racket and then once you got to go to these kind of tournaments and you see all these other kids and the the competition and and even more so the competition, just like meeting people. Like I always, I've always been a very social kid. So like I love that aspect of, you know, just creating new mates and training with new people and playing people from all over Australia and internationally as well. And, um, you know, the different styles of games that were out there and, I just found it such an interesting sport and like a lot of people you would probably agree with this like they they see tennis and they think it's a pretty basic game but when you really like break it down like there's so much that goes into it um you know the training that's involved like I I would as a young kid go to the Aussie Open with my parents and I would almost love sitting out on the outside courts and watching the the pros train more than actually like enjoyed the games Mm -hmm. I love the games as well obviously but just watching like the likes of Nadal and Djokovic and all these guys like just out there hitting balls and like the drills that they were doing and the hard work that they would put in um like I was just obsessed with it man mm-hmm. and I don't know how else I can describe it but it was just like a, a sport where I just found it so like bloody interesting yeah it is really like that the, the depth involved and I think we can all agree that people that have that tennis background love going to the first week mm. of the Aussie Open oh. and just seeing the outside courts yeah. like the the kind of people that that maybe up and coming that mm. people don't know about yeah. and just watching the training. Uh, it's that stuff that we find really interesting once you have an idea of the game. I, I want to know a little bit more about how your, what, what your training was like um, and how it was, I guess, like between the ages of like 12 and 14 when it started to really, yeah. really ramp up when you go, you, you get a sense of like, I could actually do something here because mm. you were training with some of the best guys here. You played nationals. Um, yeah. What did your training look like? How how committed were you? And were you starting to believe that you could actually go somewhere with it? I think once I joined at the time, I think it was called the NHPA, which was like the National High Performance Academy, which they brought into all the states. Um, I, once I joined that at about 13 years old, obviously I was training with like the best guys here in SA. Um, at that point, I started to believe that I really was like a pretty decent tennis player. Um, and obviously the coaches there, like they, they pump everyone up and they think that everyone's probably better than what they really are. Um, but it was a great kind of culture to be in and it was like hard working and, um, you know, there was a lot of pressure as well from a young age. So I kind of like got used to that. Um, so at about 13, 14, when they started, you know, scheduling out your tournaments and pretty much treated you like a young professional, mm. um, it was at that point I started realizing, yeah, I was, I was probably the upper level of a, a junior tennis player. Um, so from about 13, 14 onwards, when I started really, um, you know, traveling Australia and, um, started to get some decent results and, um, getting noticed, um, that's when I kind of realized like, this is what I want to do. Um, so from about 13, 14, man, like I really thought I was going to become a professional tennis player, to be honest with you. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it's not till much later in the journey, which I'm sure we'll touch on that. I kind of realized maybe, you know, this isn't for me or, you know, there's. There's other things out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I, I think that there is always that belief when mm. you're young to go oh. like, wow, like I can actually do it, something here. And I think that's important. You've it's got an, to, it's an know, amazing thing as a kid, man. Like you honestly think I'm going to be world number one tennis player. Yeah. And I remember sitting with Mark McMahon at the time when he was one of the coaches at, at the State Academy and we all had to write out goals and we're sitting there and everyone wrote out their goals. And then um, before we even like told him what our goals were, he goes, put your hand up in this room if your goal is to be a top 10 tennis player. And I reckon like 80% of the room like put their hand up and he goes, scrunch up that piece of paper and do it again because I can guarantee you for 99% of people, that's an unrealistic goal. And I was just like, I was a 14-year-old <laughs> kid, man. And I was like, wow, like that, that's, that's pretty yeah. mean. But, yeah. you know, like it, it's true. It, you know? it is you, true. You've got to have realistic goals. Yeah, as a coach, it, I think you've got to be mindful of crushing kids' dreams, mm. I think. As a coach, you want to be realistic with the parents. I'm not sure if I agree with like, crushing the kid's dream. I think it's important to let them yeah. really like dream big, but then couple that with let's work our absolute ass off for this. Yeah, well, that's true. Like I've always been like a realist as well. So I've always known like, you know, some, some things are too good to be true. Um, but I always understood that, you know, working hard, no matter what it is, you can achieve like great things. So I always knew that, you know, being a professional tennis player was potentially a possibility, but it was probably at that point where I realized, okay, like, you know, being number one in the world may not happen, but you know, <laughs> you can still make a pretty good yes. bloody career out of it. Absolutely. Um, so it was, it was something I was still very heavily interested in doing at that, at that time um, until I kind of lost a bit of interest at yeah, that sure. 13, oh, not 13, sorry, probably like that 16 year yeah, age. Yeah. This is just a quick note on our podcast sponsor. This podcast would not be possible without the support from 4RT. They are a creative house that helps businesses with their advertising, marketing, and content needs. If your business has a story to tell, then these guys can really help you with that story. And 3ATA, they've helped us massively, and we trust these guys dearly, and we feel like they're the best in the business. So they could add a lot of value to your marketing and advertising needs. Yeah. Uh, I want to. You, you spoke about Mark McMahon, um, yep. a coach from from here. I want I want to touch on. Are there any influential coaches that really stand out to you, um, and why? Like, what do they teach you that that kind of stands out still to this day? It would probably be Mark McMahon was one of my my private coaches who I had for a number of years. Um, I don't know what in particular he said to me that really stood out, but he was one of the guys that, you know, had been to college, um, had taken that that route and really kind of helped me like push into that area. Um, obviously for a lot of kids at 17, 18, going pros, not even an option. Mm. Um, and he kind of instilled in me as well that, you know, getting a degree and exploring your options is probably one of the best things you could do. So he really helped me in that area. And then also Martin Richards as a as a junior, you know, mum just called Broadview by chance and he was the coach that was there and he kind of um, built me up to, you know, a 12-year-old player that was pretty decent. And then um, from there, Mark kind of just was able to grow me into that, that mm -hmm. next level of player. Yeah. I think those messages of trying to have a backup and not just putting all your eggs in one mm. basket and trying to get a degree is – Really important. I think too many tennis players at a young age just focus on tennis and just yeah. forget about schooling. And then they get to maybe like a low-level professional yep. and they're like on the ITF circuit, but they just can't break past mm. like maybe like 600. And it's it's a tough it's a tough sport, man. Like a footy player, like in an AFL team, you know, there's there's 18 teams. There's probably about 40 guys on a on a roster. 
all those guys are getting paid a pretty decent livable salary, most of them more than a livable salary. Um, whereas a tennis player, you could literally be three, 400 in the world, sometimes even in the 200s in the world and living on two minute noodles and not making a cent. And it's so like wrong. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's so real as well. Like it's, it's a tough world. Right. We could talk about that for hours and how that needs to change. Mm. And yeah, slowly there is change from the players association and how that money is going to trickle down. But yeah, that's the archaic nature of tennis and how it is so hard. Um, Um, And there's only money at the top. Imagine being the 200th best tennis player in the world and you can't make a living out of that sport yeah we talk about this with our mutual friend theo all the time and he says like if you're that in soccer you're getting multi multi you can be sitting on the bench not even playing and you're on hundreds of thousands of euros a week and it's just and that's a team sport where you can you know you can shine off other great players in your team's success and I'm the same, man. I'm pretty passionate about how yeah. wrong that is. And, yeah. But hopefully some things change. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. I mean, shout out to, to Papa Jay and, and Angela, your dear parents. What role do they play for you to, to really help you go to the high levels? Because I think the role of a parent in tennis is critical. Oh, it's, it's so important. It, it, they, they played probably the biggest role out of anyone. As you would know, tennis is a very expensive sport yeah. um, without – funds you it's almost impossible um so i mean i would hate to know how much money as a kid they spent on my travel my equipment my coaching um you know just driving me around on a daily basis from school to training from training to gym um honestly without their help i wouldn't have got to the level that i did so i'm extremely grateful for them and um you know I have them to thank for for all the experiences and um, you know that they, they were great. Mm. I don't know what else to say. Like that. That's, were they hard on you in any way? Um, not hard, but they would know that you know if I didn't give my best, like I could lose and play great, and they, they were completely fine. It was when I'd come off court if I had a bad attitude, um, if I didn't give my all. That they were the times that they'd be upset, but they'll never like crazy you know, yeah. crazy sports parents that, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I'd have to walk home or anything like that, which those parents are definitely out there. Um, but they'll never, you could tell they were upset. Um, but no, they were very, they were very supportive. Yeah. I think, I think that's really positive parenting is the ones that don't get too involved in mm. the tennis and more just like upset if you don't give your best or if you, yeah. if you show a poor attitude and almost like a sense of disappointment to say, mm. hey, like we're here supporting you. you just, all you need to do is just give your best and yeah. whatever happens, yeah. happens. And that's what they were like. I think their biggest disappointment was probably at 16 when I wanted to give it away and mm. did give it away for a, a year or so, um, breaking it to them, man. That, yeah. The, the conversations by the couch every single night about like, you know, are you making the right decision? Mm-hmm. You're, you know, throwing away all your hard work that since you were, you know, 11, 12 years old. That was what they were most disappointed about. Yeah, wow. That, I, I, yeah. I want to touch on that in a moment. But before we, before I do, I want to ask, like, what made you – what were your best attributes? What made you a good tennis player and what, what held you back looking, looking back from that, from um, that time? I had, I've always had really good hand-eye. So, like, my, my hitting was never an issue. Like, I was the type of tennis player. Obviously, I was tall and athletic as well, which obviously helps as a tennis player. Um, I could match it with the best guys. I was the type of player where I could beat anyone, but I could also lose to anyone. 
So I had some, you know, throughout my junior career, I had some awesome wins against like some really top Aussie juniors. Um, then at the same time, that the next day I could go out and lose to someone which I knew I was much better than. Um, so I was very inconsistent when, if you look at it that way. Um, and I think a lot of that came down to just my mindset. Like I was probably pretty weak-minded. Mm. Um, like we spoke about off camera, I was probably one of those tennis players where you could walk past my court and, you know, I'd be up about to win in straight sets, but you'd think I was losing just because of the attitude that I was kind of carrying and moping around and um, thinking about all the bad points and not how well I was probably playing in other areas and probably didn't pump myself up enough. Mm. And that goes back to me being a realist. Like I was always just so hard on, um, you know, areas of my game that I knew I wasn't playing well and I thought I was going to go out every game and just play a perfect match. And I remember there was another coach that once said to me, like the best um, matches you win are the ones that you win when you're not playing well. And once I kind of understood that, my mindset got a little bit better. Um, but definitely as a junior man, that was the one thing that held me back, I think. Did you have anyone to really teach you or guide you in that way? In terms of mindset? Yeah, mindset. At the time, no. Um, there were a few like sports psychologists that came in um, more so in group sessions when I was at the State Academy. Um, but no one that really like pulled me aside and said, look, if you want to get to the next level, this is what's holding you back. Obviously, my parents told me. Yeah. Um, but as a young kid, you don't really listen to your parents too much. It more so needs to come from an exterior source. Um, so that that was definitely the area. Looking back now, um, that really probably inhibited my game. Um, but as a kid, it's so hard to make a change like that, especially when you just, you're just not mature. Like I was 14, 15 years old um, and, you know, it's really hard to make those changes at that age. It's, and the guys that are good and the girls that are good are the ones that are so mature-minded and able to, you know, understand feelings on core and an individual sport. You'd know, man, there's, you know, in an hour or two game of tennis, there's so many obstacles and roller coasters that you have to go through and some that are in your control some that are completely out of your control um and it's it's a really hard sport on the mind it's 90 percent above the shoulders yeah um once everyone can hit a ball then that's exactly absolutely. right yeah like you i could and and yourself like we could go out there and hit up and down the court with rafa and you know hold your own it's not until you get into like a game where you get absolutely wiped off court and, you know, all these other aspects come into it. That's the funny thing about tennis. Like you, everyone's got the skills. Everyone's got the shots. Everyone's got, especially at that level, everyone can move. Everyone can hit the ball well. Um, it's it's what is above the shoulders up here that, you know, separates the, the good from the great. Yeah. Knowing what you know now, what would you actually change or what would you like kind of say to your young self on to how to manage those situations or change those things? Oh, I think the easiest thing would just be, you know, losing matches at 16 years old don't matter. At the time, like you think it's the be all and end all. And that's kind of why you're getting so frustrated and anxious in a game and, and so upset. But I mean, looking back, you, it doesn't matter at all. You know, it, you see like the life of a professional tennis player these days, like I went to the Adelaide International this year. And I watched Rublev lose two first rounds in a row. Top 10 tennis player, lost first round week one, first round week two, moved on to the Aussie Open. And I think he made was it quarters of the semis or whatever it was. Um, 
So there's always the next match. It's like a golfer as well, you know, like you, you may play horrible in one tournament. A week later, there's another round and, you know, great things can happen. Um, so, and they don't seem to care so much about the losses at that level, which is weird because you think you should care about it more as a professional than what you do as a junior. Um, but you're never going to not lose in, an, in a sport like tennis. Um, and it's the, the people that can understand that quickly are the ones that can really excel. I think like you, you learn more from your losses as cliche as it sounds. Um, but it's just a game and then you wake up the next day and you know, it's a new day. And as a junior, I just didn't think of it like that. Yeah. I'm guessing that kind of like really filtered into like form slums because you've just mm. been down on confidence, just let, exactly. letting those losses yeah. linger on rather than just like shake it off yeah. a new day. Like, Let's just keep on going. Let's oh, just, the I, nature of tennis, just I to lingered, keep on man. going. I definitely lingered on, you know, matches. And then, you know, the next time you'd play that kid in the tournament, it's all you're thinking about, you know, where, um, you know, tennis players today, they're probably just more, you know, leave it in the past and, and move on, the good ones anyway. Mm. You started to touch on the moment when you fell out of love with the game. So so what, what happened there? You were going great and then, uh, what, 15, 16? Yeah, it was about 15, 16 to be honest, man, it was just, I just had that kind of FOMO. Like I was watching my friends, you know, at that, at that age, you start going to parties and going out and I was missing like, you know, school formals and just all these events in your life that like, you know, you think as a kid you should have, you know, my friends are, are going to a formal while I'm in, you know, you know, a little apartment room in Sydney, like playing a tennis tournament. And at the time I just thought that, you know, that was more important. And I got to a stage, I actually got injured as well, which kind of didn't help the situation. So I had a bad stress fracture in my back at about 15 or 16. Um, so that put me out for a year. Um, and in that year, obviously, I was able to go to these parties and hang out with my friends and, you know, do things that a normal teenage kid does. And I just realized that, like, I've, I've missed this, you know. Um, I've missed this life of socializing and just being a normal kid. Um and that's kind of where my love for a little while was lost. I think I just burnt out, to be honest with you. Like I was just training so hard as a kid and probably overtraining as well. Um, and that's, yeah, that's that's where that, that year of no tennis pretty much came from. Yeah, I mean, this speaks to the unique nature of tennis. Like if you look at a bunch of the guys on tour, they're kind of a bit weird. Mm. They're kind of a bit weird and crazy because you don't have a childhood. If yeah. you want to go to those levels – Goodbye, childhood. You've got to sacrifice so much. <laughs> yeah. And and I probably wasn't willing to sacrifice everything. Yeah. Whereas a lot of these good kids that probably came from nothing and had no other options apart from tennis sacrificed everything. And, you know, that's all they wanted. And I was probably a bit spoiled, man, to be honest with you. Like I, um, as a kid growing up, I had a lovely childhood and, you know, got everything that I ever wanted. Um and I probably didn't think of it as, you know, how many people I was letting down and, you know, by just throwing it away for that couple of years. Yeah, I think at that age you start to really realise if you really want it mm. or you don't. Mm. And there's people who just want it more than you and they're going to put in the sacrifice. Yeah. And if you're not, then you, the sport's just not – you're not you're not cut out for those levels. Because yeah. I'm sure you took some time off. I do remember like there was a time where you, even in your juniors – Took a bit of time off. Uh, I had a really interesting journey because I wasn't very good because I was tiny 
for so yeah. long. And then all of a sudden around 16, I grew a lot. Like I was a very late bloomer. What years was it where you like started, you know, enjoying the gym and doing all that stuff? Uh, around, yeah, probably around that time. Like You'd stop playing then, I'm sure you had. I was just training a little bit. I never yeah. kind of stopped playing, but I didn't like fully take it seriously where I would just. You weren't playing tournaments or anything like that? I'd just play a little bit here yeah. and there because I was like trying to go to uni and try yeah. to gym, go out. And then I would just like enjoy playing matches on the weekend mm. for like club just, competition. Yeah, okay, and then just, I just never really stopped. But I just didn't play full on for a while. And that kind of kept me in it. And I think coaching as well kept my love for the game because I was like yeah. in it while helping others. Sure. And it made me feel like I was enjoying it. Um, but I never really had that feeling of like, oh, I hate the game. I'm going to stop for a year or mm. two. See, where, where my story was more just I got completely burnt out and – I lost love. Like I couldn't handle watching tennis. Yeah, okay. Um, I couldn't handle like the conversation in the house just being about tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't want anything to do with it. And which I thought was, you know, now looking back is crazy because even now like I, I don't play anymore. I don't pick up rackets, but I still have involvement. Like I still keep up with scores. I still love watching tennis on TV um, and it will always be a part of my life. Like I still catch up with my tennis mates on a weekly, monthly basis. Um, but at the time, man, as a 16-year-old kid, I just that was, I just didn't want to know any more yeah. about it, you know. It's fair enough, man. Like you went through a, a pretty intense journey and you can that, that can take its toll and, mm. and when you're missing out on stuff, like it, it's hard. But that, that, that started to change again because uh, you you went to college. Like yeah. you, you played college tennis. So how did that change? We took that year off when you Yeah, so probably at about um, – so I reckon I stopped – playing at 15 and yeah. I reckon by about 16 and a half I made the decision that um, going to college was what I wanted to do and playing tennis and um, I wanted to get back into it I found that love again for it um, so I started playing tournaments again training hard um, really wanted to put in a good solid couple of years while I was you know year 11 and 12 to really give myself the best chance of you know getting a good scholarship and going to a decent school um, I wanted to go to a Div 1 school, obviously, because it was good quality. Um, so I put in a lot of good work in year 11 and 12, started playing tournaments again, started getting some good results. Obviously, was playing State League and, and everything else. Um, and then after year 12, I had a few offers at a few different schools, um, decided to take one. Um, and then that's where my college journey kind of kicked off. What was that like? How would you describe what it was like being at college and playing uh, and training there? Like what was the training like? What was the coaching like? Full on. Um, obviously, I was used to it being a you know junior that was in those academies, but college training was full on. Um, the way I like to say it is you are training like a professional, you're just not getting paid like a professional. So you'd wake up in the morning, you'd have like weights at 5, 6 a.m. Um, then you'd go back to your room, get ready for classes. You'd have classes probably till – two o'clock in the afternoon and then you'd probably be at training um, from about 3.30 to 4 till 6, 6.30. So you got, you'd have three hours on court um, and then sometimes you'd do, you'd do fitness after that, so like running, um, a lot of cardio, and then you'd go back to your room, go to sleep, do it all again the next day. So it was it was a very full-on, um, you know, experience. Um, and everyone there was very serious. Like the coaches were serious. All the players had bought into that that mindset. And at the time, I absolutely loved it. Um, I was fit as I was playing great tennis. Um, and it's an excellent 
um, culture to be in. Like if you're a kid that, you know, wants to continue to progress as a tennis player while also getting an education and um, potentially going on to pro after that. Yeah, it's such a good pathway, um, especially if you want to have a degree. And I mm. would recommend doing that um, if you're still on the fence of whether you're going to take that path or not, because it just gives you options. Um, but being in that environment, you got to kind of, you get a sense of what it's like to be a pro training, Definitely. training. Then you and you kind of like it's like an apprenticeship to see it if is, you are going to go. If you're made direction. out for it, um, and I probably in my second year, this you would know, man, like. There's so many good players in, in the tennis world. And I was training really hard. I was, um, it really helped my doubles game. I became a really good doubles player. Um, so I was, I was playing good doubles, but singles, I was probably sitting at number five or number six in the team and probably winning like 50% of my games. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, you, you're not even winning that much and you're playing number six and, you know, you're, winning 50% of your games, I'm not going to be a professional tennis player. Like it's not going to work. I could potentially try for a couple of years and make no money and then I'll come home and I'll be three, four years behind everyone else, you know, chasing my tail, trying to build a career. Um, so two years in, I just kind of realized that it wasn't going to happen. Um, and that's fine. I, I'm glad I made the decision when I did because it, you can get stuck in a nasty, you know, rabbit hole thinking that you're you, – it, your best form is coming. Yeah. Um, but I think I'd kind of reached my limit at that point and um, two years in just kind of realised that was it and decided to actually leave college and finish my degree back here in, in Australia. But I don't regret any decisions I made. Um, I'm so happy I went to college um, and it was obviously a great experience, the people you meet, the, um, the training I was exposed to. Um, it, it was a great experience, man, and I would never talk bad about it to, to anyone um, and I would do it all again. Yeah, I mean, life is, has a funny way of giving you these little tests and these mm. moments to see what you're all about and I think what you did there is a true like indication of that test to go, am I going to take this pathway or not? And you had that, I guess, like looking, looking at yourself in the mirror moment to go, Nah, like mm. I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. And it's just, there's so many good players out there. And I know that I can't, this pathway is not for me. Yeah. I, I didn't want to be one of those guys that was, you know, six, 700 in the world, still a great tennis player, but six, 700 in the world playing futures all over the world, um, you know, with a hundred bucks in my bank account, not making ends meet, man. Like I, that, that's not what being a professional tennis player was to me. I love the game, but like living that type of lifestyle, I just didn't, I wasn't attracted to that. Yeah. It's a real journeyman mentality mm. that like- Living out of a van, you yeah, know, like- Yeah, it's real like a traveler. Like people do that without tennis and they're just full, just like hostels, traveling Correct. all different yeah. places, backpacker. And kind of tennis players do that yeah. through tennis. Through and tennis. It, it's a pretty yeah. sick, cool lifestyle. It, it but is. if you don't yeah. want that then, and you want to have a career and you want to have some money behind you- you're not going to get it yeah. through that. You're going to have some sick experiences. Oh, you have great experiences, which will make you into a great person. But um, I just wanted to start building a career. Like I just wanted to finish my degree, get a job um, and, you know, just start living a normal life. Yeah, I hear you, man. <laughs> that, that's the realisation that I had pretty early on as well to go like, um, if, if I ever take that pathway, I, I know I'm not going to be mm. anywhere near the levels. Like do um, you regret not going to college? 
No, I don't. No, I don't. Because I wasn't ready. I was too immature. I was too young at the time. Yep. I wasn't ready to take that pathway. If um, if that was an option for you, say like now, would you? I would definitely do you, it. You yeah, would do I would it definitely now. do it. I don't regret anything that I've done on my journey. Like I went to uni. I did uni here while also building like a coaching apprenticeship, yep. and I it's built me to be who I am today. But after uni, I made a commitment to myself that I wasn't going to get into work unless I did uh, club tennis in Germany because that's yep. something that I because you did do that. Didn't yeah, you? yeah. So. Club tennis in Germany was a sick experience. I and mean, then that's another pathway that we can talk about yeah. as well. That's like subset to mm. the college journey that a lot of people take. Um, and there's so many good players there. And, mm. and then you have access to other countries and tournaments yep. around the place. But um, I, I want to I wanna talk about how did this really evolve for you? Like what happened after college? Like how, when, once you made that decision to say like, nah, like I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. You came back from college. Where where to next from there? How how did things start to change and evolve to say once you committed to say like I'm gonna have a career? Um, so I came back. I still had two years left of a degree. So I came back to UniSA, um, finished my marketing degree, and halfway through that marketing degree, I was literally just planning on getting a job. You know, maybe in fashion or. Um, working at, you know, like a tennis company or working for a tennis, you know, like a, a Babolat, being a marketing manager for Babolat or yeah. um, working for the AFL or something in sport or in fashion, like two industries that I always had interest in. Um, and then just the, the idea of starting my own business kind of popped up and that's kind of how I fell into that. Um, but that's, yeah, it's an interesting one, man. Like I finished my degree I think it would have been 2016 and then got straight into my own business 2017. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the foundations of building that obviously had started in my last year at uni, which was in 2016. Um, so I just kind of finished my degree and just went, you know, straight into it. Is this the building blocks of VK? This is the building blocks of VK. Like how did that how did that start? I really get curious to understand what are like the initial phases behind building um, a business because it's all just ideas in your head and then you start to like put plans together. Like what 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 was the building blocks in that time and how do things start to evolve to build into something? Well, at the time, man, I was a 21-year-old male that had no idea how to, it was just an idea. Like you said, it was, you know, started just finding a name and planning a logo and working out what kind of products we're going to sell and um, it was completely and utterly just an idea. Um, and then it just slowly grew, like it was a very slow process. Um, and then that's kind of how it grew into the the brand that it was. Like um, my partner, Geordie, that I, that I work with, um, we were studying together at uni. Um, so in our last years when we decided to do it together and, and, and grow it, um, but it, it was a slow process, man. Like the first year or two was we both had part-time jobs and, you know, we weren't making any money at the time. Um, you know, with most startups, like you, you're investing a lot into the business and it takes time. And um, so we both had part-time jobs and it just kind of went from there. Mm. I think that's like something that the younger generation, um, talking like I'm 40, 45 <laughs> years old right we, now. We are kicking on. Man. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, that they just kind of want things now. They want to do this startup business, just like become fucking famous on Instagram, mm. for example, right? Um, I think they forget the idea that you've got to have something 
funding the business. Yep. Like you, you both had part-time jobs, funding yeah. your ideas in the initial phase. And just know that things take time. Probably the amount of work that you've done to get it to where it is, mm. is just like probably astronomical. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's like anything, it's, whether it's sport like tennis or it's, you know, business, it, it takes time. Everything takes time. Um, the amount of background work I put in, even to this day, like I'm still, you know, working nonstop, answering emails at night, you know, it's a grind, man. You know, like even you with your own um, tennis business, like the, the amount of work behind the scenes that goes into what people see is just crazy. Um, and I, I love it. Like I've always loved working hard and um, I've always been a very organized guy, probably through my tennis um, having to juggle, you know, school and, and and elite level training and and being away, all that kind of stuff. So I, I had the fundamentals in place to be able to succeed. Um, so it, once I, you know, continued to work hard and, you know, started seeing the results, um, it just gave us the fuel to continue to grow the brand. Yeah, that, you just touched on something um, that I think is actually quite important. So for me personally, Tennis has taught me so many life lessons that have made me become such a, yeah. I guess, resilient, strong, responsible person to like withstand challenges. And it's it's really helped me a lot. And I talk to parents about worst case scenario, your kid doesn't doesn't go pro, doesn't go to college, but learns some incredible oh. life life lessons along the way. And you, you just touched on that. What what is what lessons have you learned from tennis and how has it actually helped you apply those lessons to business that you're doing now? Obviously, um, learning that you, that hard work, you know, how, how important it is to put in hard work. Um, as a junior, I had to juggle my schoolwork, traveling, um, you know, the pressures of competition, being able to time manage. Time management was a, another quality that I built from, from tennis. Um, being able to deal with pressure as, as a young kid, like a lot of people aren't exposed to that as well. So, Pressure, time management, um, you know, hard work, determination, you know, having to get up early as a, as a young kid. And, you know, I had to find time for homework when I was training before school, going to school, getting picked up from school, going to training, getting home at 7, 8 p.m. at night, having to find a window to do my homework, go to sleep and do it all over again. Um, and that builds serious skill set for like a young kid that, you know, um, you can't waste time. So I was very like efficient, whether it was through my training or through my schoolwork or through my, you know, diet or whatever else. Um, and they're all skills that I learned from from tennis. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really, really important for anyone that just is on a tennis journey to know like it's not for nothing. Mm. You're actually learning some amazing skills. Uh, you touched on pressure. I think the ability to handle pressure and how much pressure pressure you face in all matches and how you overcome that is something that I think a lot of people lack that yep. they don't actually have something in their life that they're getting exposed to large amounts of pressure mm. I think that can make a massive difference oh it can for yeah. like something challenging like what you've done yep. with vacate yep yeah definitely um I face pressure and you know on a daily basis um and look, I'm not one to say that I'm the best person that deals with pressure or anything like that. But obviously, I've had the building blocks in place from a from a young age that's allowed me to deal with it and overcome it. Um, and I honestly think pressure is a good thing. Like it's it means you care first of all. Like if you you know if nerves, if you're getting nervous about something, it means you actually care. Um, 
And it was something from a young age that's I've been able to instill in myself to be able to, you know, overcome obstacles and, um, you know, improve as a person, as a business owner, um, just on an everyday basis. Yeah, that, that's really awesome. How, how does your business partnership work? Like, obviously, you would have strengths, Geordie would have strengths yeah. and, and weaknesses. How do you guys come together? Um, because I think a lot of people, when they go into a partnership, maybe don't understand where their strengths and weaknesses lie mm. and how they can actually come together to, to bring something strong. I think the first most important thing is understanding your own skill sets, your own strengths and weaknesses. Um, I obviously have my strengths and my weaknesses. Um, Geordie has his. And I think being able to have different strengths is a great thing. Um, there's no point going into business with someone that you're both good at the same things. Um, you want to be a more well-rounded unit Um so being able to go into business with someone that, you know, even in, in your industry, you know, you may be a better public speaker than your business partner or you may be better at dealing with kids' emotions than your business partners. Um, just having a more well-rounded unit is obviously much more helpful. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Uh, I think you need to be clear going into that um, and mapping that out and actually just having mm. just robust, honest conversations. Say, hey, like I'm, I'm sick of this. Yeah. What do you got at and how can we kind of come together mm. and fill the holes a little bit? Yeah, definitely. No, lovely. Um, so we know, th- we know probably like most businesses fail, maybe not most, but a lot of businesses fail in the first three years. Yep. Like the, the, it is really, really challenging to get something off the ground mm. and get it going. So how and what has made Vacay successful to withstand those three years and then come out of the other side and start to become super successful, not just like here locally, but like now internationally? Um, well, obviously in the beginning it was hard. Um, there was obviously melting points at certain times in those first couple of yeah, years. What did where, that look like? I want to dive into that. Oh, like, what did that look like? So what, <laughs> it would have been excruciating. What are some of those melting points? It would have been really, really tough. Well, as a young, naive kid, like you think, oh, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to make, I'm going to sell thousands of products overnight. And when you wake up the next morning and realize that's not going to happen, um, you know, we had like these crazy goals set in place for like the first year. And I don't know, how we thought of these because they weren't even viably possible. Um, but <laughs> he's laughing over there. Um, but it was just one of those things where we hadn't reached any goals in like the first year or two and we just felt very, you know, crushed. Yeah. Um, like the tennis journey. Like the, ten- like the tennis <laughs> journey, man. And we, I remember sitting there with Geordie once, um, two years in, we'd put in so much hard work, like it, w- there was nothing more we could have done. And we just kind of looked at each other and thought, like, what's the, should we keep doing this? Like, what's the point? Like, we would have had so many of those moments. Yeah, there, and there were um, probably not as many as you'd think, but there was one clear moment. And this was the, the one I'm talking about, where we just kind of thought, like, oh, man, there's there's no point doing this anymore. Like, let's you know, we've we've given it a chance. It's it's not working. What a moment right there! Oh, we'll, talk about Tess. And we, life. we we left that meeting that we we're going to end it. Um, and it wasn't until we went home that night and kind of, you know, thought about it a little bit more um, that we realised, you know, like we've had some great moments throughout these first couple of years and, you know, it's let, let's, not, let's not kill the dream too soon. You know, let, let's keep it going. You know, let's be proud of what we've done. And f- luckily we did, man, because I reckon within the next six to 12 months, um, 
some great things happen. Like we got a contract with the iconic um, as a young brand, like that was a huge thing. And then just people started to notice the stat, the sales started to slowly increase. And then one thing led to another where it just continu- continued to grow. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the business side of how you seal deals with someone like the iconic or other brands? How does that work? It's all relationship building, man. Um, with anything, you've got to know the right person, um, get in front of the right person, um, share them with them what you're doing and your story and you've got to make them want to fall in love with what you're doing. Um, so that's pretty much what's involved. We had no sales agents or anything at the time. So we were just going out, finding these, you know, these people at David Jones and these people at the Iconic and just sending, you know, emails and trying to call them and getting turned down a lot in the beginning mm. um, and just continuing to persist and, you know, not taking no for an answer. And um, one thing would lead to another where we, you know, landed the Iconic and then started doing well there. And then David Jones kind of took note of that and then they wanted to jump on board. So we jumped on board with David Jones um, and now six years later, we've got retailers in Europe, um, Canada, um, Indonesia, and doing big numbers in the US as well. So all that has just come from just meeting people. Like I've met a crazy amount of people through my tennis. I've met a crazy amount of people just through business. Um, and that's kind of what I've loved about both of those aspects of my life as well. Like just the, the ability to meet people. Mm. Um, and I'm such a social person as we, as we have touched on, um, that I've just, you know, met so many people. My network now is just so big that I, I love it. That's, that's really, really cool. You touched on rejection. I think that's something that we had an earlier guest that really spoke about, um, the rejection aspect in acting. And I just think that is something that is so important that you gotta be okay with, that people are not going to vibe your idea. They're not going to yeah. get around your idea and you have to accept that and you should, that shouldn't deter you and you nah. just got to, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep putting yourself out there and that eventually you're going to meet the right person. And um, yeah, kudos to you guys to just not being okay with that and going like, we just got to keep going. We just got to mm. keep beating people and putting our face and talking to as many people as possible. Yeah, well, we we were passionate about what we were doing and we knew it was a good brand and a good product and we knew it would succeed. So we never doubted our own um, our own brand and it was just more so being able to make other people believe that as well and buy into what we were, what we were doing. So I completely agree, rejection, you're going to get a lot of it, especially in business and on a daily basis most of the time. Um, it's how you kind of can deal with that and, you know, use that as fuel what made you say that your brand was different because like there's so many brands out there what made you say that your brand was different to others and why did you have this belief that like it was going to work what was it about AK? I, I think we got in a, a perfect time to be honest I if if I was to if Jordy and I were to start this business today it probably wouldn't take off the way it did we we started obviously in 2017 at the time, especially in Australia, there weren't too many big men's swim brands out there. Um, people were still obviously either wearing like their soccer shorts to the beach or were wearing like board shorts. There wasn't really like those fashionable um, shorts. So we entered the market here in Australia at a really good time. And I think that was a, a pivotal moment in the in the journey that, 
you know, there was a demand for it at that time and it was a niche. Um, and that's kind of where we saw the opportunity. So I don't think if we were to start it now, it would probably have the same effect. But over the years, we've built up such a brand and a culture now that um, it continues to do well in this time. You're speaking to such a valid point. Yeah. I mean, you've got to do your research. You've got to figure out where the holes are mm. in the market in anything to figure out what, what is missing and how can I actually bring some value Definitely. to this area. And if you can't do that, then it's going to be really challenging mm. to succeed because there's so many people doing the same thing. Yeah, 100%. So like how did you do the research? How did you figure out you, you were just passionate about, you didn't even have options for the, yourself? The only, like, yeah, the only idea was that I was heading overseas and I was looking for obviously some swim shorts to bring and I was you know just scouring the internet as you do looking for things. Um, and I couldn't really find like affordable swim shorts. Like, you know, there was like boring solid colors and um, obviously board shorts as well, which I wasn't into. There was no like just real exciting, vibrant patterns on like a mid-length swim short, um, especially in Australia there wasn't. Like I knew there was some European um, sites that were doing it and whatnot, but in Australia there was pretty much nothing. Mm. And that's what kind of drove us to come up with the idea and, um, you know, start getting samples made, got samples made initially just for ourselves um, to take away. And then, you know, friends started to notice and they, they liked them and one thing kind of led to another and realised, you know, we'll kind of onto something. Um, and that's really my own experience of being able to find that it was a product that was in demand. Well, not so much in demand, but a product that, hadn't really been, you know, touched on and had brought been brought into the market at that time. Yeah, I can completely see how you would have had so much confidence mm. in it, knowing that like there isn't this product mm. out there. So it would have been so sellable to others because you had so much belief in it. And it almost like wouldn't have been like selling, you just saying facts like, hey, like this product isn't out in the market and we need to get it out there and you're passionate about it. And I can completely see why that would have been attractive to people yeah. like the Iconic and yeah. why you sealed deals like that. Yeah, it was. And like, as I said, I don't think if it was to start in 2023, given the way the world is now and how many other players there are in the market, it would probably have the same effect. But we got in at the right time, um, put in the work and, you know, six years later, like we've got that track record behind us and we're able to, you know, achieve great things. That's amazing. I want to I want to touch on like how you use social media and what what is the e-commerce world like? I mean, people have these grand ideas about making a lot of money through e-commerce. <laughs> uh, and it's really tough. Like how do you what would you recommend or how do you actually make money through e-commerce and how do you use social media to grow your business in this way? Just a disclaimer for everyone listening, we had our video cut off in this conversation with Corey and it's, it's a little bit frustrating. We're working through these technical difficulties. Um, yeah, we're on our way, but please, if, if you're enjoying the conversation, flow through. The audio is all good, and um, we hope you're listening because I, there's so many good things um, that he had to say today that we'd love uh, you guys to listen to. Enjoy. Well, up until having, obviously, wholesale, like we um, started a completely online business. So before, you know, the likes of David Jones and all these other retailers that now buy our products at a wholesale, um, we were solely online. So social media and, you know, paid advertising was all we had. Um, and that was the only way we were getting people to our website to buy. So it was the most important thing and still to this day is probably the most important part of our business in, in bringing in revenue. Um, 
And at the time in 2017, no one really knew much about it as well. E-commerce was still relatively new and people didn't understand, um, you know, Facebook and paid advertisement and what it took to do that. So Jordan, myself just kind of had to learn that just off our own backs, man. Like we, um, there was no tutorials online or courses that you can, you know, buy these days to, to do what we did. It was just more trial and error and working out what worked and what didn't, um, and it just kind of grew from that. That's fantastic. Oh, just the amount of work and legwork you did just to kind of figure things out in the early stages. Sounds like the perfect storm of a few things kind of coming together. It, it is, man. When when something great happens, obviously there's a lot of, yeah, it's a perfect storm to everything has to come together. Mm. Um, and I guess that's kind of what did happen for us to achieve what we have in the last couple of years. Um, but it was all new to us. Like I didn't know anything about business when we started, didn't know anything about how to create a product, um, didn't know much about branding. Yeah, I had a marketing degree, but I mean, as I said, online advertising and that was so new that you, whatever you did know was probably old traditional print media ideology and didn't really work in today's world. Um, so we just learned everything on the job. Mm. And, um, you know, had to take the bad things happening for us to work out what does work and what doesn't and be able to go from there. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Were, were there any mentors or key people that helped a lot on this business journey to help you get to where you are now? Uh, at the t- time we started, probably not. Probably just more everyday successful business people who were able to help with you know, just like managing cash flow and all those kind of um, aspects. But there was no real mentors in the e-commerce field because no one had really done it prior to us. Um, We have a few mentors now of some people who um, are doing great things in in the e-commerce world who we reach out to for advice and and answers. How do they help you? Oh, just their, their long road is obviously someone else's short road. So the same way it took us, you know, years to work out that we shouldn't be doing this, but we should be doing this. I could now share that to someone else and save them the time, you know? Um, so someone who's done great things in our, in our industry is able to share their knowledge of, um, you know, a one way of doing thing that can, can save us time, can save us money. Um, and then obviously just giving us the advice of what to expect. Like there's a big difference being, you know, like a small brand going into, to becoming like a more mid-sized brand, to becoming a, a large enterprise. And, you know, obviously your mentors change throughout those stages because you might outgrow them. Um, right now we've got a couple of mentors which are really like have done crazy and much greater things than us um, that are giving us the advice that we need to, you know, obviously continue to grow. Yeah, that that's really important. Just being able to be a sponge for those mm. sort of people that have been on the journey longer and have had more success in the areas that you're, you're in. And for example, like in the tennis space, I want to give the kids that I work with so many more tools yep. to be better than what I was and am um, so that they can learn faster. The thing mm. that everything I've learned on my journey, I want to give it to them so they can learn faster and be better. And, and that's, that's what we seek in mentors is to be able to have those people that have been on the journey that are just going to give you everything you need exactly. to go where you want to go. So what's next for you, man? Like, I mean, 
you're doing great. Things are growing really well for you. But like, is is being a massive business what you even want to do? Like, where is business and life taking you? Where where do you want to go with it? Obviously, at the moment, I'm just. We're, I mean, we're in a pretty heavy growth phase at the moment, so we're just continuing to try grow the the businesses as far as we can. Um, that's probably for the next five years or so. Just continue to keep hustling and you know just working hard and um, maximizing as much of growth and success as we can. Outside of that five year plan, I to be honest, I don't have any idea what I want to do after that. Um, but I'm, you know, I love business. I love sport. Um, I'll continue to stay in that industry, whether it be this or something completely different. Um, but right now, yeah, our focus is just on, I mean, I, I love my day to day. Like my, I live a great life. Um, I don't have to sit at a desk all day. I can do pretty much whatever I want. Um, I love going to work and working with our staff and, um, you know, building the brand and meeting new people. Um, having your own business gives you, you know, the opportunity to, you know, go play golf on a day if I want to play golf or be able to travel the world and go to some amazing places. Um, so that's the lifestyle that I live at the moment. I, I can't fault and I, and I love it. Um, but I'm not too sure what's next, just hoping to continue to grow the brand. And that, that's, that's the plan. Yeah, I think for anyone listening that really that life that you've just explained is appealing. What would you what would what advice would you give to people if they wanted to embark on an entrepreneurial life where they can run their own business and have more of their own lifestyle and schedule? Um first of all, I would just say do it. Um I had to jump out of my comfort zone to obviously start a business like I was 20, 21 years old, barely had any money to my name um, and had to invest obviously to start the business. So I didn't have a great deal of, you know, capital to begin with um, and I took that risk to throw it all into a business. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say if you're young and you're, you know, at uni or you're finishing uni, now's the time to obviously do it mm -hmm. a lot harder when you're, in your thirties and forties and you've got a mortgage and, you know, a family potentially, um, and you've got probably a lot more to lose. Um, yeah. Yeah. not to say that you still can't do great things and, um, take risks. I th still think you should take calculated risks, but, um, I think I was the perfect age at, you know, 21 to be able to take a chance. And, you know, if it didn't work, like you said earlier, like I had things to fall back on yeah. and I had a degree under my, under me. So I was, could always gone back into a marketing job, um, but advice to someone that's wanting to start, I would just say, you know, have a s solid plan in place and just go into it. Like, you know, put, put all your time and energy into it. And, um, the more hard work you put in, the, the more you're going to get out from it. So I'd, I'd really just, that would be my, my strongest bit of advice to give to someone. Yeah. I think that's great advice. And I think starting early, like you did at 21, mm. when you just don't have like massive responsibilities no. to, to your name, I think absolutely go for things. I think your twenties are a great opportunity to, to try so many different things and yeah, just take life by the balls and go for it. I agree, man. Yeah. I, I think that, I think that's really, really great advice. Um, I love everything I'm hearing, man. I'm, I'm super stoked that we got to do this today and just hearing all the life lessons that you've learned through tennis, how you went through the college journey to know like, nah, being a low-level pro is not my thing. Mm. I feel like I got more 
things going for me or I feel like I can do more in, in a different space and applying those lessons of like just scheduling, time efficiency, really using hard work as, as the crux of building what you've done with VK is, is really inspiring to people. And I hope people can listen to this and go, I can do something mm. really, really cool and I can do it on my terms um, and there is opportunity to do it and anybody can do it. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think um, that's really, really important uh, for people to hear. So thanks again for being here, man. Ma I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. I'm glad we did this. And um, yeah, just wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And obviously this is an awesome podcast that you're doing. So I'm looking forward to seeing you continue to grow with it and make it a, a household name and love what you're doing in the tennis world as well. So, um, you know, keep going. Love it. Appreciate it, man. I've actually Thanks. got you a, a gift before we uh, end. Oh, here we here. go. Oh, so, okay. okay. So oh, yeah. make sure the camera sees it. <laughs> Give us actually, the plug, I actually man. think, that, dude, that's hilarious because I actually think that the, the camera turned off. <laughs> it's an absolute crack up right now. But um, if the camera was on, you'd see an amazing bag of AK yeah, bag with just some goodies in here that I can't wait to whip on uh, at the Aussie beaches. Thanks again, my man. No worries, mate. All the best. Thank you.